Amen. How many believe that God is an awesome God? Yes. Amen. Yes. You, you believe that? Yes. That's good. Do you believe also that God thinks you're awesome? <laughs> Most of the time. Huh? Well, today what I want us to do is to think uh, in terms of awesomeness. Um, we all agree that God is awesome, and I'm going to show you just how awesome God is, at least from our perspective. Uh, and our perspective on God is really quite limited. But I'm also hope to show you what God considers to be awesome. I mean, God is the creator of the universe, and that's kind of a hard act to follow. You know, but there is something that God values more than that. And that's what I'm going to show us uh, here today. So uh, if you have a Bible with you or, uh, or, a lot, or some kind of an app, um, I'm, I'm still old school. I don't, I'm not used to <laughs> you know, this technology. I'm, uh, let's see, I, I use my computer to read the Bible only because I can adjust the, uh, the font <laughs> a, lot, a lot better there. So um, I want us to turn to... Uh, Psalms chapter 8. Amen. How many have gone out at night, looked up at the stars, and have looked at the Milky Way? Yes. Okay, a couple of you, not all of you. When I was in the Air Force, uh, I was stationed in South Carolina, and um, it was kind of out in, out in the the country, out, out in the stick somewhere. And I was driving down a country road on my way back to the base, and I noticed out of the window of the car the, uh, the Milky Way, and it was a beautifully clear night that night. And I happened to have a pair of binoculars with me. And so I pulled over and looked up at the Milky Way, and I looked at it through a pair of uh, binoculars. And they're not really anything really special, just kind of your, you know, uh, generic Walmart-type a pair of binoculars, and and the stars was so closely clustered together. It seems like they were just touching each other, and it, it really uh, is really rather awe-inspiring. And so, in Psalms chapter eight, David gets a little bit of a uh, of a hint uh, of what that is like. And I want us to, as I said, I'm going to read from Psalms chapter eight. I know we're sort of in a custom of standing. Uh, when we read the scripture. So let's uh, continue the tradition. <laughs> I forget to do that sometimes. When <laughs> so, uh, amen. O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens, out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, and you have ordained strength because uh, because of your enemies, that you may silence the enemy and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you visit him? For you have made him a little lower than the angels, and you have crowned him with glory and honor. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. And Lord, I just pray for your strength. Uh, to be upon me, and I ask for your anointing of the Holy Spirit uh, to just bring forth this message of encouragement and salvation 
and we give you thanks for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Now, a few of you raised your hand uh, to say you've seen the Milky Way, so, uh, but there was just a few. Uh, so the majority of you have not seen it, so I'm going to show it to you today. So, James, uh, number one. Yeah, oh, that's a pretty good shot. Yeah, it's actually bigger than that. Uh, <laughs> Now, you probably can't see it around here uh, because of all the light pollution. Now, David didn't have to deal with air and light pollution, and so he, he probably got a pretty good shot. When I was driving down that country road, uh, it was remarkably clear that night. And um, even for South Carolina, it was pretty clear. And so uh, I just kind of just stood there, and, you know, and this psalm came to my, to my mind at that time. And I was a newborn Christian. Myself, I'd only known the Lord maybe about a year or so, and um, and I that that verse. What is man that you are mindful of him? Now David didn't know, and and he couldn't possibly know just what exactly was he looking at. Uh, at that time, and for many many centuries afterwards, people believed that the Earth was flat, and that the universe and everything just kind of re rotated around the Earth. I mean, it wasn't until Copernicus came along that people said, oh, th this may come as a shock, but we're not that big. <laughs> and so what, what does the Milky Way really look like? Because the more we learn about the universe, the more this passage really comes to more, to me, uh, more relevancy. Because we witness the awesomeness uh, of God's power and so I'm going to show you what the Milky Way really looks like. Go ahead, James. Now, this is what the Milky Way looks like as best that we can understand. Now, we are located somewhere in this region. And this belt right here is known as Sagittarius. And when you look up at the sky, this is all you're seeing is just a little small segment of the galaxy. And we, we really don't amount for very much. But you ever wonder how, um, how big this thing is? Well, I'm, I'm going to tell you. In space, uh, things are measured by light years. Uh, that such and such a planet or, or such and such a star or a galaxy is so many light years away. Uh, and so that's the, the best way to measure distance uh, in the universe. Now. The way they do this is to designate what they refer to as light years, the amount of distance that light travels in a year. Now, light travels through space at 186,000 miles per second. Uh, that, that's pretty fast. You can't go any faster than that, according to Einstein. So a light year, it's a real long number, but I'm just going to give you the short one. It's Five point, about 5.9 trillion miles. Now, who wants to hear the specific number? <laughs> you do. Okay, for you, I'll do it. 5,878,625,370,000 miles per year. Okay. Now, if you could travel at that speed, uh, 
Theoretically, I know the, uh, the Enterprise does it all the time, but if you were to travel from here to here at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years to make the trip. So if you want to know how big the galaxy is, you take the speed of light, or you take the speed of a light year, or the distance of a light year that I just quoted you, over five trillion, almost six trillion, and multiply it by 100,000, then you'll know how big this thing is. That's just one galaxy. Now, we are on a collision course with another galaxy called Andromeda, and it's traveling at 490,000 miles an hour and is due to arrive in about four billion years. <laughs> I can't wait to see it. <laughs> but our planet, I mean our galaxy rather, is only a, a, uh, an average sized galaxy. To give you an idea how, another idea how big this thing is, if you were to take the Milky Way and uh, scale it down to the size of North America, you could fit our solar system from the sun to the planet Neptune on a quarter. And as I said, it's, uh, we're only in, in an average size uh, galaxy. Constantly the galaxy and all galaxies are producing more and more stars. And if you look at Hubble pictures or the uh, James Webb satellite, you'll see how these stars are being formed. Our galaxy is really a burning cauldron of creativity. But again, it's, it's only a small part. Now, just how, how small is it? So I want to show you what Hubble saw. Back in around 2005, uh, NASA scientists wanted to point the Hubble telescope at a place where there didn't seem to be much activity. That, you know, the telescopes couldn't see much. And so they took a picture of this one little area and it said if you were to hold it up, that area up, it would be like the size of a postage stamp. Um, and so that's what they got. Here you see thousands of galaxies. And this is only a small part of that picture. Uh, let's see, how do you turn this thing on? Yeah, my button fell off. Oh, there it is. Up here, you see this area right there? You have two galaxies colliding with each other. Two galaxies that are roughly about the same size as ours. Now, you just sit and study it, and then go back to Psalms chapter 8 and say, what is man that thou art mindful of him? When I consider, he could only consider the moon and the stars. He could not conceive that our universe is this big. Now, as we look at the night sky, and we see what David saw, and we may ask ourselves that same question, uh, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Uh, excuse me. How did God create all of this? Let's just leave that picture up there for a little while. What did God have to do to, to create all of it? I mean, this takes a lot of energy. 
to create that. And, uh, you know, we can go into Big Bang and all that stuff. I'm not going to do all that tonight, uh, today, rather. It's not, not pertinent. Uh, but what did God have to do to make it happen? And the answer is quite simple. It's in Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the waters. And then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God created the universe by simply speaking it into existence. For God to create the universe, for him, was child's play. I could just speak it into existence, and he could speak it out of existence if he wanted to. Uh, I, hopefully, he doesn't want to do that. Um, now, I, I don't know all of God's reasoning why he did this, and why he made such a big universe, and he made us such tiny you know, seemingly insignificant uh, stuff. Uh, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15 through 17, it says, uh, talking about Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him. And he was before all things, and in him all things consist. Now in the NIV it says all things are held together. Um, I kind of I like that, that idea of all things being held together. Do you know that the atom uh, is made up of protons and neutrons? Now the protons are electrically charged. The neutrons have no charge at all. They're not negatively charged, they're just neutral. Now, positively charged, if you ever put, you know, battery terminals together that are connected to your car, you know, uh, you get that spark because it's repelling. And so positively charged particles will pull themselves apart or they'll push themselves apart. And everything is made up of atoms. So the question that scientists have always been wrestling with is what's holding the atom together? And so far, that's, they have some theories, but they don't really know for sure what is actually holding it together. Because by, by law, by uh, the laws of physics, that atom should be, all of our atoms should be splitting apart. Uh, but you see, in Colossians, it says all things are held together. So Jesus is holding everything together. And that's kind of what I prayed for my sermon today, that he was just kind of pull it all together uh, for me. As awesome as creating this world, and this world happens to be uh, perfect. You know, if you take away all the bad things that we're doing to it, um, you have a perfect world. Everything seems to work in balance. We're just, you know, we're the right distance away from the sun. We're just the right size. We're, we're just, everything about this planet is right. Um, and so far, sci uh, astronomers have not found another one just like it. Now, I understand that we're a really tiny planet compared to like Jupiter or Saturn. <coughs> Excuse me. <clears throat> um, and so finding another one just like us is really hard to do. But as 
astronomical instruments become more and more sensitive, then we're finding more and more planets. And right now, the count is over 3,000 uh, planets that have been no, that have been documented over around other stars. And out of those 3,000, not one of them matches uh, the Earth as far as habitability. They're all, you don't want to live there. In fact, I don't even understand why we want to go to Mars. I mean, all there is just dirt and sand. Um, Elon Musk wants to colonize it. And, and I think, well, why? <laughs> you know, I mean, for a guy, maybe for somebody who wants to get, get away from it all, that might be a good place to go. Um, but I would think, why not spend that money, you know, doing something here, you know? Uh, like correcting some of the bad things that we've been doing. Um, but what does God consider to be awesome? I mean, we, we look at this and we say, oh, God is awesome. And he's more awesome than David could have imagined. And 20 years from now, we'll see even much more uh, than what we're seeing right now with the new uh, technologies that we have floating around in space that are sending back more and more information. And so we're finding out more and more how creative God is and how awesome God is. And then we have to ask ourselves, why does God care? I mean, he could have just wiped us out and just say, oh, okay, that was a bad mistake. Uh, that was, that was, we shouldn't have done that. We, uh, things just didn't go right. But he didn't do that. He kept us because we are awesome. And the evidence for that is we go back in Genesis chapter 1. And God said, let us make man in our own image. And he didn't make whales and chimpanzees or gorillas or your, you know, your pet dog or anything in his image. Only us. Only we have the capacity to relate to our creator. We are the only ones that can uh, think rationally and logically and critically. It's because he put his image into us. Why? Because he wanted to. Um, let's make us in our own likeness. Let him have dominion over the fish of the seas and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. And in the image, God, uh, he created him male and female. So, we are very unique. And so the question, why, why did God do that? Why, why is God mindful? Why does he care? Let's go on back to verse uh, 6 in uh, Psalms 8. For you have made him a little, you have given him dominion over all the works of your hands. And you have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, even the beasts of the field, the birds of the air, and the fish of the sea that pass through the paths of the sea. O Lord our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. You see, when God created us, he just didn't make something just for the fun of it. He gave us a purpose. He made us stewards over the rest of his creation. So God created us for this reason that, first of all, he gave us free will. Without free will, we cannot love God uh, the way that God wants to be loved. I mean, if you have a pet at home, a cat or a dog or whatever, uh, you may love that dog. You may love that cat. I had a coon hound, which I had difficulty loving. 
if you've ever owned a hound dog, you know what I mean. Uh, my neighbor hated him <laughs> because he would make the loudest noise and he would never shut up. Um, but his one redeeming factor was that he, had, he was kind of like a Disney dog. You know, he, he'd go all over the neighborhood and kids loved him. And he would steal their toys and bring them back. Um, so he, he, uh, 15 years we had to deal with this. You know, he, he long ex, uh, exceeded his, uh, his uh, life expectancy. Um, so he gave us free will so that we can love him as he loves us. Secondly, he desires that we enter into a relationship with him. This kind of goes along with the first part. We can have a relationship with God. Now, when you go out talking to people that don't know the Lord, oftentimes, um, you know, people just kind of shrug their shoulders. You know, they, they, they don't want that interruption in their life. You know, because knowing God requires a commitment. You see, God gave us, he gave it all. And he, he desires that we give nothing less than our very best back to him. So we have this relationship with him that gives us purpose and meaning to life. You know what the purpose and the meaning of life is in all the other species? What, what do they do? They look for food and they reproduce. That's it. Now they may be cute, maybe you can get dolphins to jump through hoops, Maybe you can get a monkey to count to 10. Um, but um, beyond that, um, th th there's not much going on there. Now, they all contribute in one way to the environment, to the, to the benefit of the world, but that's not something that they do consciously. You know, I, I read somewhere that if you eliminated all the mosquitoes in the world, and that may sound like a good idea, but you would actually interrupt the food chain to such an extent that you would wipe out all life on the planet. So the animals do serve a function. Thirdly, he has placed us, or he has placed within us, a call to serve him and each other. We're not here just for our own benefit. And, and, and I think that's the, the problem that we have where people, uh, the, the, you, know, the, you know, the saying is, look out for number one. Uh, when I was in the Air Force, I uh, picked up a couple of guys that were hitchhiking on their way up to New York, and they were in the Army. And one, one of the guys said that my slogan is, do unto others before they do unto you. I said, I'm going to get away from this guy here. <laughs> you know? um, but we're called to serve one another. And in fact, in serving each other, we're, that is a way of serving God. So these two fields of service are interlocked with each other. If you're going to serve God, you're going to serve people. If you're going to serve people, you're serving God. Okay, they're interrelated. You cannot separate them. Uh, fourthly, uh, he stays with us, regardless of what's, uh, what's really going on in your life. Even if you're running away from God, he's, uh, it's like Francis Thompson in that poem, The Hound of Heaven, uh, he said, you know, you know I, he chased me down, you know, all the paths that I, that I took, and yet he still was there. Uh, 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 
nipping at his heels. And I'm trying to think of a person who really was trying to get away from it all. And, and the person that comes to my mind is Elijah. Now, Elijah in uh, chapter 18 of 1 Kings, he sees a mighty move of God. He gathers all the priests of Baal, and he, may, he presents them with a challenge. Let's see who God, who's the real God around here. Is it Baal? Then let it be Baal. If it's, uh, if it's my God, Yahweh, then let's worship him. Well, you know the story. Um, and if you don't know the story, just read chapter 18 in 1 Kings. Okay? Because I don't want to read it all. It's, it just take too long. Um, you all know the story. Uh, the worshipers of Baal uh, couldn't do anything. And so God consumed uh, Elijah's sacrifice, even though he doused it with water. And what was the effect that that had? Well, it, it resulted in the death of 200 priests of Baal, but it also made the queen really mad, uh, Jezebel and, and her husband Ahab. Now, I don't know what it was about Jezebel. Uh, you know, it's like that saying, hell knows no fury like a woman scorned. <laughs> so she was really mad, and she put a price on it. So it's like, you know... Uh, she was determined that nothing, she was going to focus exclusively on getting him killed. And so what does Elijah do? Huh? What any other normal guy would do? He'd run. Uh, and so where did he go? Well, he spent 40 days going to a place where he could hide, out in the Sinai, we believe, out in the Sinai Desert, in a place called Mount Horeb. And there he went into a cave. I'm reading from chapter 19, verses 19 through 13. And he went into a cave, and he spent the night there in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, that's a very important question. You can take the name Elijah out of there and put your own name in there. So he said, you know, like a lot of us do, we rationalize said, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts. Instead of just saying, I've been real zealous for you, God. No, he just really elaborates. I've been zealous for the Lord God of hosts. For the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant and have torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I alone am left. You ever feel that way? I am alone at left and they seek my life. So God... Uh, he got, God does him a favor. Uh, doesn't do this for everybody, but he did it for, for Elijah. In verse 11, he says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks to pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake... A fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a still small voice. And so it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He asked this question twice What are you doing here? What are you doing here? He said, well, I'm in church, you know, and I've been 
I've been like Elijah. I've been serving the Lord. You see, but God is looking at your heart. And he asks you the question, yeah, you're in church, but what are you doing here? Why are you here? And I think we all should ask ourselves the question, what is the reason why you do the things that you do? And so put your name in Elijah's place, and God is asking you, what are you doing here? Now, God doesn't ask very many questions of us. Another question that God asked was to Adam and Eve in chapter 3. It says, and the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called out to the man and he says, where are you? Where are you? What are you doing here? Well, God certainly knew where Adam and Eve was. He certainly knew what Elijah was doing. But these are rhetorical questions that God intends that we ask ourselves. What are you doing here? Why are you here? Now, despite our seemingly insignificant size or our age, you are important to God. When he said, let us make man in our own image, this creation is more awesome in the eyes of God than creating that. Now, I don't know about life in, in other planets. Uh, so far, we're coming up empty. Um, I think we are a unique planet. Some, some people say that, well, there's billions and billions of planets out there, so there's got to be at least a few of them uh, that have intelligent life. Now, I don't know about, you know, aliens and things like that, some bug-eyed creature zipping around in a souped-up Frisbee. Uh, now, I don't know about that. And, um, and, and I like what Neil deGrasse said. He's director of the uh, planetarium in New York City. And he's also an atheist, by the way. But I like listening to him. He's, he's very informative. And he says, you know, the, all these pictures, you know, they, you know, like this grainy little white tic-tac, you know, that some Navy jet was flying. He says, you've got to show me more than a grainy tic-tac, you know. Uh, I think personally for me, if one lands in my backyard, comes out and shakes my hand, then I'll believe it, okay? Um, as I said, despite our seemingly insignificant size, you are important to God. Now, I don't know about the rest of the universe, but I know on this planet, this tiny planet, this is where I live, okay? I don't, I don't care how big or how small it is. That, that this is my home. I remember in the Air Force, I had a bunch of guys in our office there, and, and one of them asked me where I came from, and I said New York, uh, just outside of New York City on Long Island. And, you know, you talk to some people who don't live in New York, they think that New York is some, you know, burning hell, you know, where everybody has a gun and everybody's shooting at each other. And, and, and I told the guy that, you know, New York may be everything that you think it is, but it's still my home. <laughs> <laughs> you know, despite all of its flaws, despite all of its drawbacks, it's still, that's my home. That's where I grew up. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, it says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, Elijah put himself in a cave. Now, I don't know about you, have you if you've ever 
gone in a cave without a flashlight. It's, it's absolutely dark. And so Elijah had his own little cave. And he stepped out into that light and God asked him, what are you doing here? So when you step out into the light, God asks you that same question, what are you doing here? Maybe, now, I don't know uh, too many of you people here and I know, uh, I don't know how many people are watching uh, this online, uh, but this goes to everybody, Christian and non-Christian. What are, what are you doing here? What are you, uh, uh, why, are, why are you hiding from me? Okay, when, I, when I have so much more to give you. Uh, he has called you out into his light. He created you to have a relationship with him because you have been created in his image to God. You are important to God. You are awesome. Because he didn't create anything else on this planet anyway, just like you. Now, when you look at us, you, you look at the 12 disciples. I mean, these guys were nothing great. Okay? They were just, uh, they were just guys. Okay? Uh, and, and most of us are just average people, uh, average IQ uh, you know, you just, um, you don't, when you go into retirement, maybe at 65 and, or 70, decide I'm going to run for president. You know, maybe a few people may want to do that, uh, but I certainly don't want to do it. Um, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 and 28, and he says, but God has chosen the foolish thing. In my case, that's certainly true. Uh, the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things uh, which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. Now, th this describes probably most of us, okay? The, the foolish things, the despised things. Um, we uh, we rewatched that movie, um, uh, the Jesus Revolution, uh, the other night, and and I remember I was I'm kind of a product of that um, of that movement, and and I was in a church one time, and the I was talking with the youth leader, and uh, we're seeing all these young people, you know, coming to Christ, and uh, he said to you know. Jesus was told to, when he was coming into Jerusalem uh, the week before he was crucified, uh, everybody was shouting Hosanna uh, to the son of David. They were laying down palm branches in front of him. And he was told to tell your people by the Pharisees, tell your people to be quiet, making too much noise. You don't want to upset the Romans, you know. The Romans, they, they get kind of nervous, you know, when we start getting rowdy. Uh, so keep, keep them quiet. And Jesus, you remember what Jesus said to them? He said, if they were quiet, the noise would continue because the rocks would cry out. And this youth leader was telling me, what we're seeing today is the rocks are crying out. Now, we may not be seeing a move like that today at, at that magnitude, but it changed a lot of things. It changed the way we worship. We got rid of our hymnals. 
and you know, we started uh, coming up with new stuff to sing, things that are a little more relevant. Uh, I remember when I was in the Church of God, I was, uh, when I was involved with ministry to the military, we had a director that insisted that we all wear three-piece suits. And uh, now we, you know, look at, look at pastor there, you know. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it doesn't matter. It's not important. Okay? What's important is what's going on in here. You know? Is your heart right with God? You know, when, when I think of this passage, and, and this came to me several months ago, um, it was an idea that, it's something, it's an old idea, it's nothing new, but I, I've never articulated it in this way, and it's called the ministry of lowliness. Now, when I think of the ministry of lowliness, the word that comes to my mind is meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, men have come in the past wanting to conquer the world, and uh, Alexander the Great died at the age of 33. Uh, not quite sure what he died from. Uh, Adolf Hitler blew his brains out. Um, they all seem to come to a rather uh, ignominious end. But when I think of the ministry of lowliness, what does it take to participate in that ministry? And all of you are involved in that ministry right now, whether you realize it or not. And the first thing is to be Christ-like. To be, that's, that's the one thing that God wants out of us more than anything else is to be like Christ. It doesn't matter, you know, what call he's put on your life, what your vocation is, uh, whether you're in full-time ministry or, uh, uh, or you're involved in some other kind of work. God is wanting to know, where is your heart? What are you doing here? Uh, where are you? See, those questions that were asked thousands of years ago are still relevant today. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Well, he cares a great deal. What are you doing here? Why are you hiding? Instead of hiding in your own self-imposed cave, God wants us to be hidden in Christ in such a way so that the Holy Spirit can do his work through, an, uh, through us unhindered by our pride and our egos. It doesn't matter how lowly your job is. See, when you're involved in the ministry of lowliness, you do things without talking about it. You do things, oftentimes, anonymously. You don't get upset when you do something and somebody else gets credit for it. You're just happy that it got done. Because whether you get credit for it or not, God takes note of it. In Colossians chapter 3, verse... Two, and two through four, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you have died, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is uh, your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. You see, that, that's the goal right there. Now, um, I don't know a whole lot about the future. In fact, I would say I know nothing about it. Um, nothing that I can say for sure. But Jesus said, take no thought of tomorrow. 
for tomorrow will come with its own set of problems. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But Paul, while he was in prison, was contemplating uh, to the Philippians the effect of his life on other people and what it meant to him personally. In chapter 3, beginning of verse 8, and he says, Yet, indeed, I also count all things as a loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered uh, the loss of all things, and count them as but rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, uh, which is from... uh, Uh, which is through faith in Christ, but the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed unto his death. So in other words, anything that you have in this life, whether it be material things or status, um, Paul says those things don't matter. In fact, they're garbage. Um, because there's something else that's more valuable, and that is knowing him. I remember uh, when I was on, uh, the first on the mission field, uh, we had a Navy pilot in our uh, fellowship, and he was my worship leader. And uh, we used to sing this song called The Greatest Thing in All the World is Knowing Him. I mean, do you remember that? Yeah, okay, a couple of you. The greatest thing, and you repeat that over and over again, and the greatest thing is loving him, and the greatest thing is serving him. Uh, it's a great, you know, it's a, it was a great worship. Uh, so it was easy to memorize, because <laughs> you're saying the same thing over and over again. In verse 12, he says, not that I have already attained uh, or have already become perfected, but I press on so that I may lay hold of Christ Jesus who also has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself as having apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are in the past and, be, uh, and striving forward for those things which are ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. There's that word again, call. Now, I don't know what God has called you to do, but he's called you to love him. He's called you to enter into a relationship with him. He's called you to come out of that cave and come into his light, experience his love. That is the most important thing. That's what God considers awesome. Now, you look at that, you think that's big? That cross behind me is the greatest thing that God ever did. That is more awesome than creating galaxies that are trillions of miles across and gazillion miles from each other. All of that doesn't matter. That mattered to God because it required of God to make a sacrifice. God doesn't have to make a sacrifice. Jesus told Peter, I can call 10,000 angels down. Now I can wipe out this planet in no time at all in the snap of my finger. I spoke it into existence, and I can speak it out of existence. But God had a purpose for your life. He died not just for the sins of the people that were living then, but he died for your sins as well. 
and he died for the sins of the people not yet born. As Peter said, it's not the will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. This is what makes God truly awesome. It's because he considers us to be the most awesome thing that he's ever done. So awesome that he would go through that in order to give us eternal life. Christ died for our sins and he was resurrected so that we can be resurrected with him and share in, in his glory. That's why I'm looking forward to this planet colliding with that other galaxy, uh, this galaxy colliding with that other one called Andromeda. Because um, I'm going to be, I'm going to see it. I'm going to witness it. Even if it's four billion or five billion, it doesn't really matter because time and space is, doesn't mean anything to God. Um, you see how awesome that is, that universe? And would you believe God can hold the whole thing in his hand? That's how big God is. And he, he holds you in the palm of his hand. And if you've never known Jesus as your own Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity to really buckle down and get serious. If you've been playing, you may be a Christian, but you've been playing games. Okay, it's time to buckle down. Uh, and let he who sins, sin no more. Uh, enter into the joy of your Lord. Amen. So let's pray. I'm going to ask Pastor if he'll come up. And I want to thank you for this opportunity to minister to you. Amen. Amen. Uh, thank you, Pastor Bill. You gave us a lot to think about. Excellent word. Let's give him another little show of appreciation. Greg Walker, why don't you come up? I want to take a few minutes and just have a little bit of worship time before we conclude today. Um, I want to say hello to my brother-in-law, Richie Mercaldi, who's here right in the front row. Our son, Jeffrey Amendola, is here as well with his family. I have to tell you, uh, they're here for the wedding that we had yesterday. Our niece, Nadia, got married. But uh, this morning, as I left the house early for my, my personal prayer time, uh, Chrisaley was sitting on the porch early, I mean early this morning, what happened was at some time early this morning she had a phone call that her aunt had passed away in Dominican Republic that raised her. So it was a very emotional situation for her. So I want to take a minute to pray for her as well. Uh, why don't we stand together? Uh, Greg's going to lead in some singing. Just want to take a moment. Uh, the last thing that Pastor Bill had said was it's time to buckle down and get serious with the Lord. If there's somebody here today, you know that we always say this, this concept. If you've been around the cross, it's time to get on the cross. It's time to just give it up for the Lord and surrender your will to the Lord's will. So let me pray, and then I'll get my guitar ready, and Greg, you could lead us. Father, thank you for your word today. Uh, we do welcome your Holy Spirit to move upon us right now as we just take a few moments, Lord, just to simply call upon your name. Uh, to uh, for salvation, maybe for recommitment, maybe for help in certain areas. Lord, when we think about everything that Pastor Bill just said about the universe and the galaxies, uh, Lord, we, we're thankful that you have a plan for our individual lives. Father, I do want to pray for Crusaley and, and Jeffrey right now. I want to pray, Lord, let Crusaley...
particularly sense your Holy Spirit comforting her, comforting her family over the loss of this dear person in her life. And we pray that um, just your presence would carry them through during these days. In Jesus' name, I pray.
says that there's no other name under heaven by which man may be saved. So we're going to, we have to, have to do something else, Brother Greg. We have to sing one more song real quick here. <clears throat> Waymaker. Can you lead Waymaker? Can you lead Waymaker? Sure. What key? Yeah. Well, just, you pick a key. We'll, we'll, we'll get it up. As we, as we sing this last song, listen, I don't know where everyone's at today, but now's the time to make things right with God. The altars are open. Come. We'll close out in prayer, and within five minutes, we're going to close out in prayer. So now's your time. Do it now, or yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but do it now.
worship you. I worship you. You are here, moving in our midst. I worship you. I worship you. You are here, working in this place. And I worship Worship you, sing Waymaker, come on. Waymaker, miracle word, promise keeper, light in the darkness, my God, that is who you are. Waymaker, miracle worker.
Hallelujah. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Every head bowed for just a moment, every eye closed in this place. Those of you online, if you want to respond, just write a comment. We'll call you later. But before we say the final prayer, is there anyone that needs to just make your peace with God? Just raise your hand if that's you. I want to make my peace with God. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Father God, I'm going to ask everyone, just pray along with me in your heart. Anyone else, you really should raise your hand, just not for my sake, but just let the Lord know that you're sincere. Amen. Amen. The Lord always looks for a response. He's always looking for that one person to say yes. Yes. All right. Thank you. Father, Lord, we give you the praise and the glory. And Lord, we open up our hearts right now. Our hearts have been moved today by your word, by our worship, by our prayers, by your presence. And Lord, on behalf of everyone, I'll say the prayer that's on everyone's heart right now. Lord, we believe in you. We trust you. We give you our lives, oh God. We know we're sinners. We know we need help. We know we need a Savior. We know without you we're lost and we're doomed, but with you we have a hope and a future. So, Lord, we express to you we believe in you. We believe in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We believe in his ascension. We believe, Lord, in your promise to return once again. And in the meantime, Lord, we right now invite you, we ask you, Lord, come into my life, come into our lives, forgive us of our sins, cleanse our heart, our mind, our soul, our spirit, everything, Lord, and cause us to be a new creation in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I, as we close out this service, uh, I'm going to ask you, Lord, let what you're doing right now continue through our time of fellowship, as, even as we depart from this place May your Holy Spirit continue what you started here all afternoon. Lord, if someone needs to be shaken up or, or have like a, a, another awakening in their heart, let it happen this afternoon, Lord. Let no one even go to sleep tonight without making their peace with you. So, Lord, release the spirit of the living God. As we conclude, Lord, you continue. Please continue, Lord. Do what you want to do. But we thank you for this day. Thank you for this time. And as we often pray, Lord, we pray right now for your perfect will to be done in each and every heart. And this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. And everybody said, come on, everybody said. Amen and amen and amen. Well, listen, the altars are open if you need prayer. There's coffee back there. Pam and I will meet you in the front. Uh, say hello to my son Jeffrey, our son Jeffrey. His kids are with him. Rocco and Anna and Tyler are here. So uh, Uncle Richie's here as well. So please greet our family before you go today if you can. Thank you.